0: And for our scripture reading, we'll turn to Luke, uh, chapter 1, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and beginning at verse 26. We'll consider something of the visit of the angel to Mary with the announcement of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll read from Luke 1, verse 26, up to and including verse 56. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservants of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then Mary said, "My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Saviour, for He has regarded the lowly estate of His maid servant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, and for He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is His name." And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. This far, the reading of God's holy word. And this evening, we will be looking at specifically the verses 31 through 33. Now, I had initially intended to preach the three points that were in the bulletin, but as I was reviewing it and Thinking about it last night and today, I will only be covering the first point, so there'll be three new points today, as so I will um, let you know when we get there. So, our focus will be then more focused on verse 31 and verse, part of verse 32. Dear congregation, Do you ever face problems in your life which make you say, well, this is just too big for me. This is just something I I can't overcome in my own strength. It's something like the Israelites as they stood in the valley and Goliath came out from the Philistines and none of the soldiers dared to go to fight him. To them it was too big of a problem, too insurmountable for them. And so, as you sit here tonight, you can ask yourself, what is your greatest problem? What is it that you face in your life so often, or what is your greatest need? We can think of many needs that, we, that might trouble us. We can think of the nation and what's happening. We can think of the leaders and the need for godly leaders. We can think of financial needs, maybe. Maybe you're struggling financially, or maybe there's trials in your family. Maybe it comes a little closer, maybe it's your health, maybe it's something you're suffering, maybe it's some hidden trials that no one knows about, maybe it goes a little deeper, maybe you're struggling with your own heart, your soul, your sins that rise up so much, your doubts, your fears, your questions about where is God in my life and how do I find Him? And so where do you look for answers in all this? Where do you anticipate your help coming from? Because all through the Old Testament, God has been promising Israel that He would send a Redeemer, He would send a Messiah, He would send the Savior, the King of the Jews. And here in our text, we, we read as the angel comes to Mary, and in verse 31, he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We know in In Matthew, the name Jesus, the the Savior, it's explained there. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people. He shall deliver his people from their sins. He's the the Messiah, the the Savior. So the angel here, he tells Mary to rejoice. He tells her not to be afraid, and at the same time he's telling us that. Here's, Here's a reason to rejoice. Here's a reason to be not afraid. But he says, behold, and look, see, the king Jesus, the Deliverer, and so the theme we had in the bulletin says, "Behold the promised King, Jesus. Behold the promised King, Jesus." And the first point I had there is the greatest. So we have to modify our title a little bit to to say, "Behold the greatest promised King, or the Great King, Jesus." And we'll see first that he shall be great, it says in verse 32. He shall be great. That, that's how the angel begins. And this word great, it really means mega. It's where we get the word mega from. And when we, often, when we can't find any words to describe something, we want to, and children especially, they, they might say it, it's mega large. It's, it's huge. And that, that seems to trump everything else. It's, it's the word that overrides everything. Jesus is extraordinarily great. And so is this the kind of Savior that we need? Are your sins, your troubles, are they Goliaths? Are they mega? Are they so big that you need a mega Savior? Because Israel needed a Savior. Israel needed a king to deliver them. And you say, why? Well, and this is where our first point for this evening comes in there was a great need, a great need for a great king. Israel here at this time was in under the dominion of the Romans. And even though the Romans brought in law and order, they brought stability to the country when they brought in their rule, and they brought in trade and commerce, they, they brought in infrastructure, to build up roads, parts of which we can still see today. These roads were used to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. But it was still foreign rule. Israel was still under the dominion of the Romans. And even before that, the Israelites learned their need for a king to rule over them. If we go back to the book of Judges, the common refrain in the book of Judges was, and in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did what, did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone doing what they wanted. And what happens in a country when everybody does what they want? You get anarchy, you get chaos. We can see examples of that in our own home when, when children often are, are left without parental supervision. Every child wants to do what they want to do, and before you know it, there's chaos, there, there's anarchy. And why is that? It goes down to the human heart. Because the heart has left God. We have left the obedience to God's law and God's order. When Adam sinned in paradise, we left God. We wanted to be like God. We wanted to rule ourselves instead of be ruled by God. We wanted to do what was right in our own eyes. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, Every way for man is right in his own eyes that the Lord weighs or the Lord evaluates our hearts. And so all through the Old Testament, you can see this downward spiral of the human heart, the, the condition of the nations. It's the exact opposite of the evolutionary theory that they, they preach now. It's a downward spiral into chaos rather than order. The unbelieving world before at the time of Noah was described as anarchy, chaos. But even the nation of Israel, after the Lord brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land, they seemed to end up in anarchy and chaos. They rebelled against God. They did what was right in their own eyes. They forgot God. They worshipped idols. And God sent his judgments, his droughts. He brought the enemies in. And then the book of Judges shows how they needed a ruler When the people cried out to God, they saw their desperate condition, they cried out to God to deliver them, and he would send them a judge to to lead them in battle, to deliver them from the enemies and to bring some state of order back into the nation. But as time went on, you see the different judges, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the conclusion there is there was no king in Israel. No permanent ruler. So Israel said they need a king. They saw other nations had kings, and they wanted a king, a king to drive them, to drive out the enemies, to lead them in battle, a king to provide law and order. And we see that in our own nation. We need good leaders. We need good law and order. Poor leaders tend to chaos and oppression. But then in the days when Christ would come here, when the angel came to Mary, Israel was still without a king. They were still looking for a deliverer because they were under the rule of the Romans. And so Israel eagerly anticipated the coming of the promised Messiah. They saw their need for a Savior. But then secondly, we see the promise of the great King, the promise for a great King. God promised that a great Savior would come to restore fallen humanity, God had promised in Genesis 3 that He would come to crush the head of Satan, to crush the head of of the wickedness, and He would come to rule in righteousness and in justice. Israel sang of this from Psalm 96. He said, He will judge the world with righteousness and His people with His truth. And His promised deliverer was was said to undo the mega sins that that separated them from God, that, that were committed against God. It said that He would restore a breach that would, had come between God and His people. It said He would heal the brokenhearted. He would set the captives at liberty. He would deliver them. He would set Israel free like He set them free from Egypt. And so Israel is anticipating this coming. And God promised he would, he would send this great deliverer, and they longed for this arrival. And this is a need and a longing that every child of God learns to know in our hearts as well. This anticipation grows as you hear of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what He is for sinners. And you see the need of your own heart for a king to rule in your heart and in your life. Because we recognize that not just in others, but in our own hearts, that our hearts will tend to chaos. Our hearts will tend to sin and to wander from God. Before grace especially, we, we do what is right in our own eyes. We, we don't heed God. We don't listen to His Word, but we go our own way. But even after grace received, it's one of the struggles of God's children, isn't it, that we're prone to wander. Lord, I know it as the, the hymn writer says. We, we go our own way. And so we need Christ to rule our hearts, to, to keep us on His path of righteousness, to keep us following Him. We need God to rule in our hearts, to deliver us from that sin that so easily wells up within us, so easily tempts us from outside, and so easily clouds our view, our vision. We need this King to wash away these doubts and fears of the oppression we might have in Around us or in us with the circumstances in this world, we need a king to protect and defend us. We need a king to melt the coldness of our hearts so that we can burn in love for God or to to soften the hearts, the hard hearts, the indifference that so easily can cloud over our hearts. We feel this, don't we? The need for him to rule in our hearts continually. And this is what He promises in His gospel. And yet so often we are anticipating it, waiting for it, seeking it. But then thirdly, we see the manner of His coming, the manner of the coming of the great King. He will be great. Jesus, the Savior and the promised one, but how will He come? Maybe the Israelites wonder that too. How would, how would Jesus arrive? All those years they were thinking, when, where, how, what would happen? But He did would not come as they might have expected. If you see in countries like North Korea or even in Russia during the Cold War or Germany during the World Wars, what they often did is they had these large parades, mega parades, you could say, these military parades through their own hometowns, large, impressive displays of power, mega parades to give the impression of a, of a mighty and powerful leader in front of it all. But that's not how Jesus would come even though the Israelites might have wanted this, to drive out the Romans with such power and might, but God would send the Lord Jesus Christ, not with a mighty display of armies and banners, but clothed in humility and clothed in meekness, swaddling clothes laid in a manger. But it's interesting that this quiet way displays to us the greatness Of this king, even more. This parade in the stable, you could say, displays the banner of God's mega love to the world even more than all the military force of the world put together. Because this mighty king would come to save sinners, he would come to save enemies, and he would do so by laying down his own life not by running them over with the military power, but by giving his own life, making himself the least. Instead of demonstrating that he was the greatest king who ever lived, and he is, he humbled himself. Because the humble shall be exalted and the proud shall be abased. Every leader of this earth who tried to exalt himself ends up in nothing eventually, even though they might... Reign and rule for a while. He did not come how Israel expected him. And when would he come? Because it seems like he didn't come when they expected it either. The anticipation of the Savior was there for 4,000 years, ever since the promise was made in Genesis. But even the announcement to Mary of his imminent arrival came as a surprise. It came when it was least expected. And who in this sin-cursed world, in this fallen world, could ever expect that God would send his Son in the world to make a way of salvation for hell-worthy and rebellious sinners at enmity with God? That God would make that way of salvation possible to save sinners instead of rightly condemning them? He could have come with all the powers of heaven and driven everyone into hell immediately, but he didn't. But he waited those years to show his patience, his long-suffering, and his great love towards his creation. And here this angel comes so unexpectedly to Mary as she's in her house. Here a young girl who's betrothed to Joseph, that means he's promised to be married. Not married yet not thinking of having children yet. Even though she was from the line of David, the royal line, royal descendant, she's not, th- she's not living in a palace. She doesn't think that she will give birth to a king. But then also Jesus does not come with, with what we expect. The Jews expected an earthly king to deliver them from the Romans, but God... Was promising to give so much more, to give such a greater king than they could ever imagine. He shall be great. He's, he's an everlasting king. He's the prince of peace, not a prince of war, but a prince of peace. And again, is this not how it is often in the life of God's people. You need God. You long for God, for His salvation, for His deliverance, but how often does He not come how you expect it? You cry in your need day and night, and it can seem like God does not answer. He does not come when you expect Him to, or when you think you need Him to come. And it can seem like you're waiting for Him for thousands of years. It can take so long. And He does not do what you expected. But this great king does so much more, exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. This is the God, the Savior he sends. He will be great, he says, because he knows your heart better than you do. He knows your condition. He knows your need. He knows your soul better than you do. You want a deliverance from the Romans. You want a deliverance from your sickness, from your troubles, from your temptations, from your trials but then it seems like that foreign oppression only increases in your life. You say, how is God caring for me when my suffering increases, when the sickness, when the seem seem to overwhelm me all the time? You cannot find the answer, but he will be great. But then you say, how can he be great when my life seems to be getting worse? When in your life it can be so different than what you expect? Where then is the greatness of God in my heart? The, the gospel says to us, He shall be great. Why? Because with Him there is forgiveness. With Him there is life everlasting. With Him there is righteousness. With Him there is peace and joy. But when He comes so often, we feel the opposite, don't we? It seems like our sorrows increase. We see, we see our sins more clearly. We feel like greater sinners burdened with greater conviction. We mourn because of our sins. And it seems like we're less righteous instead of more righteous. We seem to find less peace instead of more peace. We can be so troubled with our soul. We can't find a joy that we we were looking for, that we expected we wanted. He shall be great, but then why do I not feel that greatness always in my life? but I say, oh, you do. You do. Because in Bethlehem he came so quietly, didn't he? The great came, king came to be the least. There he made himself of no reputation. What are you looking for? When God gave Israel their king, he anointed David that young shepherd boy, the young unknown boy in the back fields who had become the great military leader of Israel, so Christ also came through humble beginnings as he emptied himself of his heavenly glory to be born of a virgin in a stable. He would not be recognized as great. In his life, he was rejected. He was despised. Isaiah 53 says he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors and he bore the sin of many made intercession for transgressors. When God begins that work in our hearts, now we don't often recognize it as great, do we? How often can we be guilty of despising the day of small things, of the Lord's work in our life? And we say, that's not what I expected. That's not the king I wanted. And we think, that's nothing. It can't be the Lord's work. But Christ came so low, And yet he could say, the greater than Solomon is here, of greater wisdom, of greater splendor, of greater power. He shall be great. And in contrast to his greatness, you feel your smallness, your weakness, your sinfulness, your emptiness. You feel his greatness. You know that he is great because you feel yourself becoming small. As John said, he must increase and I must decrease. You know that he will be great because you know that he is making you small to see that contrast. You see your need all more visibly. David is only a young lad and fair compared to that giant and experienced Goliath, the soldier. And you only have the small beginning of that perfect righteousness, that Christ works in you. But as a bride of Christ, you're already clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The believer's peace is found there in the Prince of Peace, not in who we are, but in Him. For He shall be great. It's His righteousness that is accounted, acceptable in the sight of God. And you feel so unworthy, and you, like Mary, you begin to say, Me? Shall this happen to me? How can this be? He shall be great even in your life for all those who trust in Him, all those who flee to Him. And then you begin to praise Him. You begin to glorify Him. You begin to love Him, Him who first loved us. You begin to honor Him who gave His life a ransom for sinners. You begin to desire to follow Him into battle and to be like Him. You know He is great. You know that He is leading you because you can never go anywhere else, can you? Can you leave Him for a moment? Even though you feel so little of it, can you leave Him? Can you go on in your own way? No, He shall be great in your life, and He draws you. Christ will be virtually unknown with a name that no one recognized yet, Jesus. David also started as an unknown shepherd boy. Later he would receive honor and glory. He would become a mighty soldier. He would defeat Goliath with a sling and a little stone. The women would sing praises that he Saul killed the thousands, but David is ten thousand to the Philistines. And God said in 2 Samuel 7 that he gave David a great name, like the great men on the earth. God exalted his name in all the earth. It's still spoken of today. We speak of it today. 3,000 years later, what a name. But Christ, God exalted Christ and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Christ every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every enemy will be conquered. All his people bow before his throne willingly, and all those who resist him will be crushed by his might and his power when he comes again. But every saint will praise the name of Jesus Christ with songs of gratitude and humility and, and praise and glory. This is the name that every soul in heaven will praise as worthy in honor of all power and all glory forever and ever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, the mighty warrior, the captain of our salvation, the one who laid down his life on the cross for us, the one who leads us by his own life. He will be great in your life. Yes, because at His name, all that hostility in our own hearts melts away. When before you hated His law and we didn't want to hear of Him, now that just melts away at His name, at the name of Jesus. That hardness of our hearts, it breaks, it shatters, that unbelief, it crumbles. How can I not believe? Lord, help my unbelief. I believe. Under the power of his divine love and mercy and grace, you, you melt towards him. And with his name, you receive strength to endure the greatest of trials, the deepest of paths, the waters that seem to overflow you. And yet he promises when you go through the waters, they will not overflow you. Even though the thorns of your life are not removed, Yet He is great. Why? Because His grace is sufficient for you to persevere. Though we still see your sins rising up against us, rising up against Him, He is great because He gives you the grace and the faith to fight against them, to overcome them by the blood of the Lamb. He is great because He gives you grace to live for Him in this world that opposes Him and His church. He shall be great for you and in you, now and forever. Amen.